You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to be continuing, actually this will be part two of our series entitled Explaining Christian Zionism, a Faith-Based Anti-Reality, or we could even term it as a faith-based counter-reality. And in this particular episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what is dispensationalism and actually we're going to be looking at one of the dispensationalists and we're going to be talking about david levy who is with friends of israel and he's conveniently written an article about dispensationalism and so chuck why don't you just give us an overview of what he is saying first of all we're going to be digging deeply into what levy has written because it is very typical of what's come out of Cyrus I. Schofield and other traditional benders of scripture who created the whole dispensational idea, going back uh, to John Nelson Darby and before that. Mr. Levy pretends to be running an organization which would be in the business, it would appear ostensibly to be in the business of converting Jews to Christianity. In other words, showing them that Jesus was the answer to their needs and that they too should be followers of Christ. He even quotes some scripture that indicates that. We don't think so. We think that Mr. Levy is strictly in the business of trying to bend Christianity. And this is done by uh, clever use and changing of words. Levy would basically convince uh, traditional Christians that the state of Israel was part of their theology and needs, that they had to consider the state of Israel as being a continuation of the ancient state of Israel that goes back to David and Abraham and to the scattered tribes that were once called Israel. So Levi and friends of Israel is basically that. He's a friend of Israel. He's not a friend of Christianity. He's posing as that. We need to expose these kind of people because there are basic ideas and principles here that have been warped in order to convert some 60 or 70 million American Christians to believe that the state of Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, the present-day state, and that the present-day state of Israel is nothing more than a continuation of the tribe of David and the tribe of Abraham and the tribe of Isaac and so on and so forth. This is essentially the notion that Christian Zionism has used to create what is now the largest, perhaps, if you would call it a denomination, the largest one denomination in America, bigger, for instance, than Roman Catholicism. We're going to be discussing this and uh, how this has been done and why. Chuck, well, maybe what we should do is just give a little definition of what dispensationalism is. Now, it's a broad spectrum 
of beliefs. There's all kinds of, and maybe Craig can give us some, but they've broken the history up into seven dispensations. Craig, can you give us a broad overview of what dispensationalism is? Yeah, sure, sure, Tom. Uh, and, and thanks, Chuck, for bringing this article uh, to our attention. Just in a, in a quick nutshell, the, the seven dispensations, the whole idea is that God has had a different uh, administration over the world, his creation, through periods of time. And it, it's divided up into seven sections. The first one being the dispensation of innocence, that's Adam and Eve's time, dispensation of conscience after the fall, dispensation of uh, human government with Noah up until Abraham, and then the dispensation of promise goes from Abraham up until uh, Moses, then the dispensation of law, which is Moses, all the way up to the Christian age, and, when, and that's called the dispensation of grace to the church age, which begins with the ascension of Christ, basically at the beginning of the church, and the, that would be the age we're in now. And then finally, there's going to be the dispensation of the kingdom age, when they believe in a, a literal thousand-year reign of Christ physically in Jerusalem. And that's the, uh, the last dispensation of the kingdom age. I might add that yeah. the dispensationalist notion ends with the so-called dispensations of the kingdom age, and that's yet to come. Uh, we're not living in it. It hasn't come yet. It's going to come when Jesus returns to earth. This is commonly referred to by traditionalists as futurism. They say that the dispensationalists have dreamed up a distant future event that they're waiting for that is not to the minds of traditionalists scriptural. Well, what you said, Chuck, about the, the literal interpretation, that is an absolute foundational principle that they have. And so after reading Levy's article, my question is, who gets to decide what's literal and what's figurative? They get to decide what's literal and what's figurative to fit their little scheme of things. And one of my favorite ones, Scripture says, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Well, who owns the cattle on the thousand and first hill? Is that not God's too? So the, the corresponding thing, they believe Jesus is going to come and set up a literal rule on the earth for a thousand years, not 999 or a thousand and one. It's, it's going to be a thousand years. So they take God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Okay. And they say, well, that's yeah. figurative. But then they take the scripture that Jesus is going to set up a millennial kingdom. Oh, well, that's got, that's got to be literal. And so they twist literal and figuratively to match their presuppositions on their contrived theology. In uh, David Levy's article, he contrasts his literal interpretation of Scripture with the non-dispensational person. And he said the non-dispensationalist often spiritualizes or allegorizes the Scripture text, especially prophetic passages, not providing the reader with the original meaning intended by the writer. This is especially true when it comes to prophecy dealing with the nation of Israel or prophecies referred to in eschatology, the study of end times. So basically he's saying because, you know, we know how to interpret Scripture, these poor uh, people who are non-dispensational, they don't really understand how to interpret Scripture. Okay, let and me jump back this. in here and give the biggest and the most gigantic word switch that has been pulled off by the so-called dispensational movement. And it turns out that this giant word switch I'm going to mention 
was not really done by scripturally thinking people, by people who were trying to change and warp scripture. It was done by bankers. And it goes back to before there was a state of Israel, when Theodore Herzl wrote his book, which he named, he named the new state, which he spent his life working for. And uh, that name of the state was Judenstadt. And that translates into the Jewish state. When Theodore Herzl wrote his book, which was entitled, he wrote several books. One was entitled Der Judenstadt. And when he wrote this book, he stated in it that the name of what they were going to call the new state became an issue. It surprised and shocked him that the bankers he went to to get the money to fund the first part of the banking system had very definite ideas about what they wanted it called. And they wanted it called Israel. So in the end, the Judenstadt, when it became a state, chose the name Israel to name itself. And then, of course, ever since then, we have lived with the notion that the Jewish state is the same as the ancient state of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on. Uh, this is how the name took place. So the very idea of picking a word and then building a theology around that, which became Christian Zionism, was not even started by Christians. It was promoted by people with very strong secular interests who were very interested in naming that piece of land that was at the time Palestine, renaming it Israel. And I believe that they had in mind exactly what's going on now. They planned to sell to the non-Jewish world the idea that the state of Israel was a part of our religion. And we had to live with it the way that they ran it and operated it because they were the holy people that God had favored and granted that piece of land to. Going back to the bankers, before there even was a strong dispensational movement called, which we call dispensationalism. They call it traditional Christianity, of course. Yeah, just in line with what Chuck was saying about the secular purpose of Israel, at least in the mind of Herzl, we remember General Albert Pike, who programmed the, the three wars for the 20th century, and uh, he specifically referred to Zionism in that Third World War. I think that uh, final apocalyptic battle was supposed to take place somewhere in the Middle East. They had definite purposes in mind, having absolutely nothing to do with Judaism or, or any other faith. They had a very secular intent from the outset. Do you remember the dates when Pike did all of this? Because that's kind of a new thought. Pike was a Confederate general, disgraced. He helped the Cherokees massacre Union soldiers, and Jefferson Davis even drummed him out of the military. He was a Freemason, a very high-level, 33rd degree, kind of joined forces with, I think his name was Lemmy, the head of European masonry in Italy, and they worked out the, the, the blueprint for the three wars in the 20th century, and all the isms basically came out of that blueprint, uh, fascism, Nazism, Zionism. Well, whether there's a connection or not to Albert Pike, one thing is, is certain, I think that we can say this with confidence, that since there has been an Israel in the Middle East, we have had continuous war there. 
and that the present-day Israel, as differing, of course, from the ancient Israel, has been involved in the conflict of war or occupation or both since its very beginning from day one. And that's never stopped. And furthermore, it has led to the huge armament of the state of Israel today, where it is a tiny country with a huge military armament arsenal that essentially is the center of the war activity that's still going on in the Middle East and has been going on involving us for 30-some years now, I guess, and shows no sign of ending. At our most recent newscasts of today, we're hearing the bantering between Israel and an ancient country of Iran about the possibility of one bombing the other, Israel being right in the middle of it. And of course, we're talking about this chosen word, Israel, that was picked for this Judenstock in 1948. And so whether we like it or not, and whether there's actual ironclad proof that this is what's going on, that Israel is helping to lead us into these wars, it is absolutely true that Israel has been involved during its entire lifetime. Yeah, I think it's clear that, you remember that the the refugees from World War II were, as I recall, they were offered a chance to go to, actually the, even before that, the Jews started to migrate out of Europe and they were given a choice of, what was it, Madagascar and Uganda or some other African country and none of those would do. There was no contest there. No one would have challenged their migration into Madagascar, for goodness sake. But, you know, in Israel, they could make this whole pretense of being the, the Holy Land again. Well, in, in his book, Herzl did talk about that. He talked about these other choices of places they might go. And he was really stunned when he went to the bankers, and they wouldn't just put up the money to buy Israel. He actually had an opportunity to buy it from the Ottoman Turks. And it cost a few million dollars at that time, and the bankers shrugged their shoulders and said no. He was stunned at that. They just had a cheap, cheaper route in mind. And they didn't plan to pay hard-earned money for the state that they were going to take for the refugees. So Israel is an exaggerated tale of war since its very beginning, a tool of war. Yeah, it's a catalyst for war, as I see it. A catalyst for more war. That's why we need to do a very thorough study of dispensationalism and how dispensationalists have been taken in to really support this idea of a warring state. Yeah, it's interesting, Chuck, is when you ever talk to Christian Zionists, they always say, well, Israel is the victim. They are the victim of the violence. They, you know, they're just defending themselves, and they always go back to 48 or maybe the 67 war where they're just defending. They never go back to you know, taking the Palestinian land, forcing the 750,000 Palestinians off their land. They're seeing a massacre by Ergon and Haganon and all those things. Christian Zionists never talk about the terrorist acts that formed the, the nation of Israel in the first place. I liken the image of Palestinian children with rocks, throwing rocks at Israeli tanks and $10 million a day U.S. aid to Israel. That's so yes. blatant. Can't believe it. It is. And it's amazing how 
our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ with this dispensational theology bent have become blinded because of the propaganda that's been promulgated over the years about Israel being the perpetual victims. I believe we should maybe start winding this up with a short discussion or a long discussion, if it turns out to be long, about why is dispensationalism the religion that is now the fastest growing, perhaps at least it's the one that seems to dominate presidential elections. Why is dispensationalism vital to Israel's dominion and domination over the Christian right? And how is that being used to further this agenda that we see shaping up in the Middle East of constant and continuous wars? How is it being played out here, in other words? I'll jump in with that one here quick, because it's a house of cards. If tomorrow all the Christian evangelicals woke up and said, oh, supporting Israel is not in my Bible, it's not like Jesus, it's not a moral thing to do, and I'm going to call my congressman and say, you know, say I'm going to stop voting for you as long as you're continuing to support the $10 million a day to Israel. If that were to happen, it's just a house of cards that would come crashing down. As long as the money is coming from the congressman, which goes to Israel, which comes back to buy politicians that create the, the money that goes to Israel, that comes back and buys the armament that goes back to Israel, that buys the politicians, and this thing just goes round and round and round. And if the Christian Zionism can be blown apart, that whole support base comes crashing down. And Israel is a parasitic nation. It exists off of sucking the lifeblood out of nations all around the world. One thing I'd like to mention to people is the book that we published was actually written in 1990. It was entitled Holocaust II, Saving Israel from Suicide. In 1999, we republished this book as One Nation Under Israel. We didn't change anything, but Chuck Carlson added an introduction to it. And its original title is really applicable to what is happening today with Israel. It is, by its actions, committing national suicide. So it may actually be able to wake up dispensational Christians eventually by their actions or something catastrophic happens. We don't know, but the book we highly recommend. It's very well documented. It was written by a corporate lawyer, Patrick Hurley. He uses primarily uh, Jewish references in the book, but again, that title that he originally wrote it under was Holocaust II, Saving Israel from Suicide. And I think just looking at some of the recent events there in Israel, where they're becoming fortified, even against fellow Jews. We've mentioned this in previous podcasts. I was in Israel this summer, and while I was going in, they would not allow three American Jews, one of them who was a rabbi, from even taking off from the airport in the United States. And so that's kind of the siege mentality that we're seeing in Israel and there, we've talked also about the moves at the state level to pass legislation. Some 24 states now have passed legislation protecting Israel from people who would support boycotts, divestments, and sanctions of Israel. And so we have a number of dynamics here 
and it is really a I think we could say a question of conditioning and uh, through the Schofield Reference Bible and Christian Zionism has come out kind of into the forefront here and where people, uh, the adherents, people like John Hagee actually brag that they are Christian Zionists and it's really an interesting phenomena. One of the things I noticed that the author Levy takes license, he says, he sets up his kingdom rule on earth and will take his seat on the throne of his father David and reign over the house of Jacob forever. Well, I, I don't know how your King James or New King James reads, but my NIV doesn't say anything about a rule on earth. It just says, it just says he will set up his kingdom and will take his seat on the throne, etc. So on earth is uh, something that he kind of uh, edited in, as I can see. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, in coming programs, I think we all can see from this program that we need to understand a lot more about how this phenomena, which has come to call itself Christian Zionism, and which we call anti-Christianity or faith-based counter-reality or some other name that suggests that it's not Christian at all, how it's all been planned and worked out by those who are behind the so-called Christian Zionist movement, among them being people like Mr. Levy. And we want to study some of what Mr. Levy says, and then we want to weave into this something of what our Christian forefathers said. And we want to talk about how we've been deviated away from fundamental Christianity by this movement. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also, at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small think big, and press on towards the straight gate.